Welcome to the Fireman Trainers Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I'm your host, Rob Beckman. Today, we'll be talking about recent updates to the NRA training program. You're bringing this podcast to support the industry, the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every firearm instructor in America that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. This episode is also brought to you by our friends at the FTA, the Firearms Trainers Association. Visit their website at ftaprotect.com to learn more about their instructor coverage they offer and their competitive pricing. Receive a special 10% off in your policy by entering promo code FTP10 at checkout. This episode is brought to you by the ConcealedCarry.com Firearm Instructor Network. ConcealedCarry.com is always looking for quality firearm instructors across the country to join the network. As a network instructor, you can take advantage of ConcealedCarry.com's advertising platform to fill your classes. Visit class.concealedcarry.com and click on instructor to learn more and see if it would be a good fit for you. Again, visit class.concealedcarry.com for more information. Today, we are joined by NRA certified instructor, state training counselor liaison, and board member elect, Todd Ellis. Welcome, Todd. How are things going for you today? Things are going well. Hey, Rob. Glad to be here. Great. Glad to have you on because I think uh, updating everybody what's going on at the NRA is uh, really exciting. We've touched on it in previous podcasts, but this time we're going we're gonna to get everything through in the, in the time frame we have. But before we jump into that, you can give our listeners a little bit of who Todd Ellis is and what brings you to this program. Sure. Well, let's see. Um, as far as uh, firearms go, I've been an instructor for quite a while. I uh, done a lot with the Boy Scouts. In fact, that was one of the big reasons for initially becoming an instructor uh, was to be a rifle instructor for our boys. And uh, that worked out pretty well. Of course, that's how I got shooting originally was at Boy Scout camp. And uh, it was quite a while ago. I was 11 years old and uh, it stayed with me for a very long time. Um, from there, I, uh, I wound up getting into small bore competition back in Rochester, New York at the Rochester Rifle Club and shot for the New York State Junior Marksmanship Team. And uh, that was a lot of fun. Learned an awful lot of good stuff. Um, and then became a uh, lifelong small bore target shooter. That was enjoyable. Um, from that standpoint, uh, fast forward quite a few years, getting into scouting, getting into instructing, becoming a training counselor, uh, having moved around the country for jobs, um, found myself moving from North Carolina to Chicago and uh, did some work with some Boy Scout councils there, was a shooting sports uh, chairman there. Um, then on, ended up in St. Louis, found that they had a real need for a shooting sports uh, committee chair. Um, they had really no good shooting sports uh, program for three entire years, no instructors. Uh, they needed help. And so we started from scratch, uh, made sure that uh, – we had some good quality folks that understood that this was very serious and that uh, safety was paramount, especially with uh, both Cub Scouts and Boy Scouts. And now we have uh, young ladies in scouting, which is uh, very exciting. Uh, they also tend to be much easier to teach than young men. Um, yes, they are. <laughs> tell you that as a coach, <laughs> I'd be happy to coach a young lady that actually listens rather than a, uh, a 12 or 13 year old that uh, is more interested in seeing how many holes he can put in the paper. Mm -hmm. um, but from there, um, it's just progressed over time. And, uh, now that I'm here in the Philadelphia area, um, I'm a member of several clubs here and that's grown, uh, exponentially as far as the number of folks who've gone through, uh, different training programs I've put together. So it's been fun. Great. Great. Well, welcome. Uh, 
appreciate you being here. Um, one of the biggest things we wanted to do um, for me talking to the state regional uh, training council liais- liaisons is most of this news that we're talking about today might be old hat to somebody who might got got it through email or saw it on uh, social media, but they're having a big time, a hard time trying to go along and get this information out to everybody. And that's where we're going to get put on the podcast and hopefully reach a few more people um, in something that can be easily uh, forwarded to other people also in getting additional information out there. Because uh, one of the first things that wanted to go along and talk about was there's been some um, uh, blended learning updates. And, uh, and I'm looking, this is all the way back in uh, June. And uh, do you recall how, how much of an increase they've had since uh, June? Or uh, it's in been June? crazy. Uh, <laughs> I can say every, 162% percent increase. It's so. crazy. Mm-hmm. And, and it's because of all these new gun owners. They, uh, they're they trying to find ways to teach. And, and there's reasons why, uh, especially with the blended program. Uh, as well as blended, we have the distance learning program, which is a mm-hmm. little bit different. Um, it's a method that several of us, uh, we kind of sat down and said, hey, look, how do we keep these instructors teaching? There's got to be a way. With COVID, yeah, you can't do this, you can't do that, but we've got to get some basic safety information to our folks, uh, get them to a certain point like blended, um, but perhaps they could use Zoom or Teams or whatever that that mechanism is uh, to be able to reach out to people uh, over the internet and at least get some of these training uh, uh, courses completed. Then they can do the practicals once they can get uh, back together in person. it's been well received. There's been a lot of folks that uh, I personally had contact me and said, uh, look, there, I needed to learn. And this is great. Um, people I work with, in fact, have actually uh, said, look, I don't have time to go to one of your clubs that you teach at. And I want to do the blended program. Sure. Here you go. And get them involved in blending and uh, the blended program. And they stop by my desk and they're like, look, this book that they sent me is fantastic. And I said, yeah, this is what I've been trying to tell you. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's really worked out well for a lot of folks. Yep. The, um, the blended really has uh, taken off this uh, year and it's uh, good that the NRA had that in place ahead of time. They didn't have to uh, you know, put it, pull something together real quickly. And uh, I know I've done a couple classes that way and it's been uh, well received. Um, one, one thing that's also gone along that, uh, everybody should realize is that the certificates for the NRA program are now all electronic, which is a big, uh, big, big change from what used to be just uh, last year or, you know, five years ago when every student packet had to have a, have a certificate in, which I think helps out quite a bit more because you don't have to worry about messing a certificate up in your printer. Well, and sometimes they would end up go missing. Uh, One of the other things that this also prevents is, uh, tailgate uh, certification. In other words, yeah, it looked like you shot fairly good. I'm just going to sign it. Here you go. Um, they've got to put down into the system what they scored on their test, how they scored as they shot, and then turn in the report. And once they turn the report in, the next screen they see is the certificates mm-hmm. in everybody's name. And that is just a much better way to go. I will tell you that instructors may want to think about investing in a relatively inexpensive printer that they can take with them from class to class. I uh, personally bought uh, a small HP laser printer. It was $140 of staples. It goes in the car. It's uh, very compact, works well, and it's been well received. It's nice having a printer wherever you go. Mm -hmm. Yep. And they're nice, lightweight. Um, Like you said, inexpensive and 
for all, all the times I had to spend a, send a buck 50 into the NRA to get a, a certificate um, replaced uh, 140 bucks. I'll, uh, I'll go with something portable like that. There you go. Uh, something else that's uh, kind of new um, for those that our instructors will be interested in is there's new criteria for becoming a training counselor. Um, previously you had to be two years and have, um, uh, 25 students. Now it's two years and you got to have at least uh, 50 students and those 50 students have got to be over uh, 10 courses. Yeah. And not only that, but the actual, uh, training development workshop is mm-hmm. considerably different even from when I took it. Um, it's sort of like in scouting. Back when I took Wood Badge, we had to do this, right? So right. with the TCDW, it's changed again. So essentially, they want to make sure that instructors are capable of shooting. Um, and as a training counselor uh, candidate, you will be at the range shooting. And quite often, which is great, uh, one of the best pieces of advice to give to any instructor who wants to become a training counselor when they go to their developmental workshop is to go with an open mind and humble spirit because sometimes they think they're very good shots and they might not be that good. And if uh, Mr. Sprick steps in and says, here, let me give you some pointers on how you might be able to shoot better. Um, this is when the knowledge, skills, and <clears throat> attitude come in. Mm-hmm. Uh, having that right attitude will get you through the program. Not having it will have you sent home, and nobody wants that. Yeah. Well, I think one thing, too, it encourages uh, – you just you can't be a fresh instructor and then all of a sudden jump up into being a training counselor. You really need to go through and take the advanced courses. You know, even if you've got enough certifications, uh, taking purse protection inside, outside the home, defensive pistol, um, the NRA concealed carry, uh, concealed carry, all those will come to your benefit in the in the range when it comes to doing the training counselor uh, development workshop. And that's I know when I when I went through, there were some that had not taken those advanced courses. And they did not do as well um, when it when it came overall teaching wise because you get you get to see the program uh, inside and out when you <clears throat> when you take all those additional courses. Well, and then the the other side of that too is is the CCW course itself. That's a relatively new one as mm-hmm. well, um, and that's not for everybody. Uh, clearly, uh, one of the things that I've done with uh, at least one club is I've set up uh, these clinics, drawing clinics. Everybody says, well, I carry every day. And I have to ask them, have you ever drawn your pistol to shoot at the range? Well, no, our club does not allow that. Well, what makes you think you're going to be able to shoot that <laughs> under pressure? Well, if that day came, well, let's see. Let's uh, let's point in a safe direction and let's use my CERT laser pistol and let's see what you can do. Mm-hmm. And uh, they suddenly very quickly realized that they need to join the next drawing clinic. Um and they'll get through it if they have that experience. But just because they went through the clinic once doesn't mean that they're yet good enough to take the course. They've got to practice. So to, yep. to your point, you've got to take these courses, but you also have to practice. And you've got to be a good shot. Yeah, I mean, you, you've, got to, you've got to practice and you've got to know how to do it effectively efficiently because the NRA instructor CCW course is the first one that as a instructor, you're timed. If you can't draw quickly and put shots on target, you won't pass. doesn't matter how accurate you are. You've got to be quick and you got to be accurate at the same time. Well, and if you miss, you will fail. If you miss one shot, you will fail. Mm-hmm. And uh, frankly, uh, with the time constraint that you have as well, 
it becomes a real issue. I pushed myself very hard because uh, I wanted personally, that was my goal, is how hard can I push myself to shoot as well as I can, as quick as I can, everything I need to do to pass this course. And um, when it came time to actually conduct the course as both a instructor and a training counselor, um, I had three instructor candidates fail. And this is one course, you know, we tell people in the basic courses, everybody passes. Well, kind of. Um, not with basic CCW and definitely not with the instructor CCW. Right. So we had one fellow that frankly, he wasn't, uh, wasn't that quick. We had another fellow that was very accurate. He's also a great small bore shooter with a rifle, but he's not that quick with a pistol. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with an 1911 with a manual safety that takes another 200 <laughs> milliseconds every time he pulls it out of the holster. Right. Exactly. So again, learning opportunities. And then we had uh, one woman that had uh, sight problems. There's a certain distance that you have to shoot, and she could not act, actually see the target well enough to shoot it, and she was missing. And She said, hey, I get it. I got through the student part, but I, I, I realize I need to get my eyes looked at here before I proceed. So it happens. It happens. Yep, those things happen. Um, one, of, one of the things that's kind of uh, sad news to pass along um, is as much as we're talking about the training counselor development workshops, they were all canceled for 2020 once COVID started uh, kicking in and the NRA training and education figured out that couldn't have it in Fairfax, couldn't have it in the remote sites where they were going to have it. So if you're listening to this and thinking, I'm ready to become a training counselor, keep your eyes open for uh, 2021 dates to come. Assuming that we can get out from underneath all the uh, uh, gathering bands and uh, mask requirements and different things like that for uh, early in 2021. Well, I, I can tell you that Marty is uh, Marty Sprick is actually – uh, kind of chomping at the bit. He and I have already talked about, for example, here in Pennsylvania, uh, there's a range owner in uh, the Pittsburgh area that is uh, talking about uh, volunteering uh, her facility for a TCDW. And, uh, you know, we're trying to get everything lined up for 2021, just like there's been a big rush for all these courses, just like there's been a big rush for people to buy guns. We know there's going to be a big rush for folks that want to become training counselors. So uh, 2021 is going to be a busy year. Yep. And training counselor uh, workshops are also, you can't have large ones. You're limited on size just because of the amount of material you have to go through. And it's not for everybody. It's a, it's a tough course. It is tough. You're shooting a lot. You got to bring ammo. I mean, uh, imagine having to travel uh, and bring ammo. Ammo. And then also to going through all the uh, different courses you know, that the NRA offers. And that's where, again, if you've uh, gone through as a student and you've been certified as an instructor, it helps your, uh, your knowledge of what, what to expect because they, they will challenge you. It's not an, not an easy, easy thing and not everybody's going to pass. Correct. Uh, another, uh, quick update I see here was they they've got the, uh, reloading instructor, um, policy and such. Yeah, and, that was interesting. Mm-hmm. That's, that's one that probably not a whole lot of people think about. And I know there's not a lot of instructors that actually teach it. I'm one of the few around me that uh, that training counselor teaches uh, reloading but reloading because of the run on the ammunition has mm. seen a big increase where people want to go along and start re- reloading themselves which is a great but at the same time it's also one of the more dangerous things that you can do because uh, one little mistake and, and you're right around a whole lot of gunpowder that's not a good combination well then you have the other side of the coin too uh, reloading is not permitted uh, in scouting so mm-hmm. you've got a lot of uh, scouting uh, TCs that uh, would love to do it, but you can't teach it as part of scouting. 
But uh, the other interesting thing is back in the day, uh, depending on your insurance policy, uh, if you had a certain insurance like I did as an instructor, it did not permit you to teach that. You would not be insured if you did teach it. And I said, well, you know what? It's, uh, it, it's kind of a telling tale if, if I can't be insured. So <laughs> you might want to make sure that if you are going to teach it, that your insurance does cover it. Yep, definitely. And one other thing that comes along or some of the things that come along with the uh, uh, reloading is prior to 2020, there was a headquarters could do a home validation for mm. the, uh, for instructors. Any instructor could go along. Once you're certified as one instructor could become a reloading instructor by going along, doing, doing the home uh, validation, reading the book, taking the test and sending it to headquarters. They are not doing that anymore due to low staffing levels and such. Yeah. So if, uh, if you're thinking about becoming a, a reloading instructor, find yourself a training counselor and meet up with them. The good thing about one of the good things about that is, is uh, in most courses that the NRA uh, has for instructor, you're required to have a minimum of four instructor candidates. With the reloading, you are not required to have four. So you can do that with as uh, little as one. But it requires a lot of hands-on and detail, attention to detail. So that's the one reason why they're allowing that to, uh, to happen because – you can't have four guys and whip them through uh, in a couple hours. You, you've got to make sure as a training council, they understand how to measure out the grams and how to measure out the millimeters and all those different kind of things in order to make a safe load. Because um, a nine millimeter, it, you know, you can reload um, easily enough. But when you start getting the rifle rounds and shotgun rounds and things like that, you can create a, a ticking time bomb, literally, if you don't do it properly. Um, well, you can screw up 45s and nines really well. I oh, yeah. testify to that. You can, I, uh, screw, you can screw up barrels real easy too, doing that too. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I remember not uh, not crimping a forty five well enough and getting it really stuck in a chamber once. Um, and then you sit back and say, okay, what am I supposed to do in my RSO class? Uh, oh, yeah, call a gunsmith to the range if you have a loaded gun that, that is inoperable. So fortunately, we managed to get the round out at the last second, but uh, sweating it out saying, who am I going to call at this hour? It happens. And what are they going to charge you to come to the range? <laughs> yeah. And the grief I'm going to get when the guy shows up because everybody knew me. And that, that was uh, kind of annoying. Yeah. Well, and if you know, if you know gunsmiths, they also know a whole lot of tricks to where it's like, I come up, boom, boom. And it's like, why couldn't I do that? And they seem to, I, seem to know those little tricks. I've seen a couple. I've, I've seen a, uh, a steel case get stuck in an old Olympic AR. Uh, <laughs> Gunsmith did have to come out to the range and he couldn't get it out. And he said, okay, how am I going to deal with this one? And I said, you know what? I have to go home now. <laughs> I don't think I want to watch that one. So he was, uh, he was in good hands, but it was one of those where you really don't want to hang around on that one. Yeah. It's a lot of fun stuff. One of the things that's um, uh, really good is when we come along, we've got the uh, distant learning and you want to go along and talk, talk about what distant learning means for shotgun, rifle and pistol. Yeah, distance learning is kind of a really big thing. Um, this was something that, that happened uh, right as COVID hit. Uh, I had some concerns personally because uh, I don't teach for a living. Um, I work in critical infrastructure. I do communication systems, design, and, and a bunch of other cool stuff. Um, and so part of this was how do we have the folks who do this for a living stay in business? It, it just was a personal concern. I've got friends that do it and I wanted to make sure that there were ways for them to keep doing this. Plus I was getting phone calls from folks in law enforcement. I'm also a, uh, I'm an auxiliary police officer in my township. So um, 
next county over, um, the sheriff, who's a friend, called me up. He said, dude, um, I- I'm seeing 200 people in front of these gun stores. And uh, gun store A has 200. Gun store B has at least 200. And uh, there's a lot of new folks out here. They're all going to need training. What can we do? And I said, you know, there, there's really something here. Um, maybe there's something we could do, for example, the new shooter seminar, which a lot of folks are not even familiar exists. Um, it's really not a bad course. It's it's really kind of a, uh, a great way to teach anybody who's just bought a gun what to do to keep it safe. And anybody uh, who's a certified instructor can go and download it. There's yeah. no certification course. It's on the nrainstructor.org website. It's a great course. I, I highly recommend it. So he said, look, how about we do this on my Facebook page? We'll do a Facebook live thing. We'll do it through Zoom. And I said, great. And that was the night that Zoom crashed. It was a Wednesday (laughs) night. I'll never forget it. Um, So we ended up logging on, logging off, logging on, logging off. Um, In the end, I didn't feel that the presentation went very well. I was very critical of myself, but uh, I gave the presentation, the slide presentation as it was. Uh, We took questions afterwards, which you have to do. And uh, we had a lot of questions. We also had 10,200 people watch that video uh, within a couple of weeks. So from a success standpoint, it was huge. So in discussions with HQ, um, I was saying things like, look, you know, we got to help our folks out there, but we've really got to reach out to these new gun owners. We've got to really do what the NRA is supposed to do and, and help folks be safe. They're um, hungry for information. They, they we got supply and we got to feed that hunger. That's our job, right? Mm-hmm. So how do we do this? Um, there's got to be a way we can use Zoom or Teams or GoToMeeting or other tools. And uh, in discussions with John Howard and, and Brett Simon, the, the concept was, hey, you know, we've got some ideas here that we've already kind of put in the works, but this kind of pushes it over the edge. Um, we're going to send your email around and, and see if we can get buy-in from, uh, from everybody up and down. And, and apparently it happened. Um, and distance learning was born. So um, as a result, now there was the uh, email that went out uh, talking about the new memorandum of understanding with distance learning saying, hey, look, you can't just pass people off. There still is a practical part. They do have to load and unload the gun. Uh, (laughs) They do have Mm -hmm. to shoot it. It's not a gimme. Uh, But this is a chance for you to teach remotely and to help folks be safe. And, uh, and a number of folks have, have gone through that. Likewise, people can use the blended uh, program for pistol. That's turned out to be extremely, extremely successful, mm-hmm. uh, much more than it ever was intended to be. But frankly, it's a, it's a tool of last resort when you have nothing else and you really need to be safe. The big difference between blended and distant learning for people to understand is blended. You have a course that's been recorded by the NRA that goes through the basics of pistols, shooting. And you do the qualification on the range uh, for it. the distant learning. You are going along teaching them live using some form of, uh, you know, webinar, you know, as you said, Zoom teams, uh, go to meeting, something else like that. So they're very, they're similar, except for one's pre-recorded and one, one is live. And then obviously you've got the instructor led with you're in the same classroom as them, which has been the difficult part this year because of social distancing and such. Right. And that's, that's been hard, but uh, there are ways around it. Uh, one particular club, their uh, training director uh, happens to also be in the pharmaceutical industry. And he came up with a really cool COVID checklist. And he said, look, here's how we're going to do the practical stage. And uh, first of all, he checked everybody's temperature. He had uh, uh, 
uh, hand sanitizer at the beginning of the line for this particular pistol load and unload. We had 15 people in the class. If you can imagine that, keeping them socially distanced as we did, keeping their hands clean, wearing a mask when they needed to. Um, everybody is kind of used to it now and they listened and it worked. Mm -hmm. uh, it worked very, very well. And everybody uh, came away not only with a full education, um, they, uh, they were very happy that they were able to congregate at a gun club once again. Yep. All, all good stuff. And, uh, thank you for pushing it forward with the NRA when it comes to dis distant learn or the distant learning, because, uh, I've taken advantage of that and, uh, it's a great way to reach our students when we're not able to be in the same classroom with them. Well, especially for folks that, that do it, you know, to raise a buck or two, uh, <laughs> keep food on the table. I mean, that's mm -hmm. a very important thing. That's an enablement. And, uh, and we have to respect that. That's one of the things with BID, of course. We teach folks, look, we want you to teach classes, but we don't want you to lose your shirt in the process. <laughs> uh, exactly. That's one of the modules, right? So how do you set up your budget and so forth? Mm -hmm. And so we have to think about that, too. What are the ways that instructors can do this and, uh, and make it worth their while, too? Because, of course, if we don't have happy instructors, we're not going to have happy students. Definitely. One, one thing where people should, uh, instructors should take note, if they haven't ordered something from the NRA materials uh, website, that's changed in the last uh, couple months in the middle of the COVID pandemic. And you probably will have to go along and reset your password. So I just bring that up because there's been a lot of uh, consternation out there with instructors who passwords wouldn't work and they didn't want to go along and reset their password. But that was the only way because they changed the website that you need to go along and do that. Well, there's a secondary part to that. Okay. The uh, When you reset your password, there's a verification email that comes out that almost always goes to spam. So people are looking for that verification. They never get it. They call the material center. The material center is like, look, you got to be kidding me. Not another one of these calls. Go to your spam folder. And they go to the spam folder and voila. So uh, I figured that out for myself. I thought, eh, how come I didn't receive it? Let me look at the spam folder. But most people, they don't. And so sure enough, it's sitting right there. And in some cases, there's four, five, six tries. And there's four, five, six verification emails all sitting in a spam folder. Mm -hmm. so once they do that, everything works fine, generally speaking. Uh, I will say that uh, we teach in BIT. You really need to have at least three weeks notice before you uh, have your course to make sure you get your materials. From time to time, things go out of print. Uh, this past week, the Basics of Pistol Shooting uh, book had gone out of print. Mm -hmm. uh, I actually had a training counselor reach out to me uh, yesterday and today trying to order materials. And I said, oh, let me see what's wrong. So I logged in and tried to order myself and it came up out of stock. Ah, that's what I read on the Facebook site yesterday, right? <laughs> so mm -hmm. sure enough, it's not in stock yet. And all the other stuff he was trying to order wouldn't go through because he was still trying to order something that was not in stock. Yep. I've got a class uh, next weekend and luckily I ordered my, my materials two weeks ago, three weeks ahead of time. And I saw that uh, this morning and it's like, wow, I'm glad I ordered when I did. I was kind of waiting to see if we were going to have another San Bernardino issue. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that. Uh, back when the shooting happened in San Bernardino, California, uh, it was the husband and wife mm -hmm. who got into a shooting altercation. It was bad. Um, for whatever reason, everybody and their brother suddenly decided they needed to own a gun. And the old basic pistol course was being taught with the old book. Um, it was quite dated back then. And it went out of stock. And within a short period of two, three months, 
60,000 copies of that book, it's my understanding, were actually printed and sold. Um, and what they were being sold to was not necessarily courses or four courses. They were being sold and resold on eBay. Um, and that was not a good idea. So those are things that we have to kind of keep our eye out for. Um, what was really kind of bad was when the white book came out. If you're familiar with the, the bound book that yep, came the, out. The hard, that, hard bound book. Which I thought was great. I mean, it was mm -hmm. a real departure from what we had in the past. And, uh, and then suddenly everybody said, but I have like 50 or a hundred of the old books. It's like, well, how come you have that many of them? Well, I keep an inventory. Well, how many courses do you teach? I haven't taught a course this year yet, but I'm waiting, right? So there was a time period where you could turn them in and get credit for it. Um, but a lot of folks, uh, they learn pretty quickly. It's not something you really want to try to make money on is, is hoarding these books. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, well, something that goes along with the um, blended and distant learning is prior, prior to that, and this is just uh, literally a week ago, they announced that you could go along as a training counselor um, and accept the blended and distant learning certificates as a prerequisite for basics of pistol instructor as well as rifle and shotgun, which really yeah. helps out from that standpoint because if we were talking about how difficult it is to try to go along and put an in-person class together, you can imagine what it's like to go along to an in-person class and have, this, have the social distancing for the student class and also put on the instructor class all at the same time and still try to, you know, keep your sanity. It can be really, really difficult. And, uh, I read that and I was extremely happy to see that because that, that one, one less uh, thing for me to worry about. Well, and, and right along with that, there's new PowerPoints for shotgun. Uh, in fact, Finally, the, yes. the whole shotgun course has totally changed. It's really good. Um, I, I, uh, have taught that course for a long time and, um, I was always disturbed there was not a good PowerPoint for basic shotgun. Um, now it's a really good PowerPoint. Uh, very pleased to see how it's, it's developed. And people that have taken the course in the past can't wait to either teach the new course so they can learn new stuff, which is interesting. But the number of folks that now want to uh, take that course here in Pennsylvania has just grown exponentially. It's quite a demand right now. That's uh, that's good to hear. I haven't I haven't taught the new uh, shotgun course yet, but I'm going to uh, download the PowerPoint and see see what new stuff it has in it. That would be uh, really really good. Well, one one thing to uh, to add, if people haven't seen the the pistol PowerPoint, uh, it's again very good. It's a major departure from the past. There's actually a funny story about that PowerPoint. There's a gentleman holding what appears to be a normal sized revolver, um, and he has a beard and glasses. That's Christian Vera from the ENT department. It's not mentioned or labeled on the PowerPoint, but if you happen to notice, there's one particular slide where it shows this gentleman in an isosceles position with that revolver. Um, you will look at the very bottom and it will say not to scale. Christian's about six foot five, and that is a Smith & Wesson 929. I have one. Uh, the barrel is six and a half inches long. It is a big revolver, and it's typically used for things like I-Corps uh, for competition. It's a great, great revolver. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, on him, it looks normal-sized. On me, it's gigantic, right? Um, I'm about 5'8". 
So uh, down to the very bottom, it says not to scale. And, and nobody, unless you've met Christian face-to-face, nobody quite gets that little joke. It's really kind of funny. Well, that's good. Well, hey, we're getting to the last couple of updates. And one of the things that uh, both you and I can uh, identify with is uh, there was a notice sent out by Marty Sprick about the uh, uh, Boy Scouts, um, TCs compared to normal TCs. And the one thing he wanted to make sure everybody understood was if you're an NRA tra- uh, training counselor, you are an NRA training counselor. The only difference when you are uh, specifically um, a Boy Scout BSA uh, training counselor is that you've uh, agreed to go along and assist them with their programs on a regular basis. So I know I do that. I know you do that, Todd. And uh, that was just one of the updates where sometimes people get um, confused that maybe there's a different standard. There is no st- difference in the standards. It's just whether or not you've uh, committed or let's put it in simple terms, volunteered to help out the Boy Scouts in their shooting sports program. Because if you help out Boy Scouts, you're, you're never getting paid um, with uh, dollars. You're always uh, getting getting paid with with um, uh, bug juice and, uh, and yeah. satisfaction. Yep, yeah. exactly. Yeah, it, it's it's always been that way. Um, and there's a lot of folks that have volunteered a lot of their time, especially through the adult training program called Wood Badge. I've had an awful lot of folks say, you know what, I'm going to put uh, rifle and or shotgun instructor and sometimes pistol instructor um, as a Wood Badge ticket item. In other words, one of those things to earn that award, you have to uh, have devote time to your troop or your uh, district or your council or your community um, in kind of a public service way in improving scouting in some fashion. And so uh, when I was in St. Louis, we had quite a few people suddenly decided that that needed to go on their wood badge ticket list. And uh, fortunately, we put them all to work. It was great. Mm-hmm. And some, something too you just uh, talked about is uh, Boy Scouts and pistols. If anybody's been around Boy Scouts, uh, they know that pistols have been uh, persona non gratis for a long time. But there's little, uh, little known to a lot of people outside the Boy Scout circles, and that actually their venturing program you know, will allow you to go along and shoot pistols. Um, yep. so that, you know, there's, there's actually a program out there and they need pistol instructors, rifles, shotguns, range safety officers, uh, chief range safety officers, um, all those, because, uh, the boy Scouts is the largest gateway when it comes to the shooting sports overall, because they annually through the summer camp program t- <clears throat> teach hundreds of thousands of scouts, um, and how to shoot the, responsibly. One of the, the lesser known, uh, really important things that, an instructor could do for scouting is to become a CRSO. Um, Chief range safety officers, one of their jobs that I have actually helped uh, foster is the ability to set up SOPs, right? So mm-hmm. when, you're, when you're taking the RSO course, especially the CRSO course, one of the, the common themes throughout the course is refer to the SOPs. If you know that phrase, you can probably pass the course because that's that's in like, I don't know, 20 or 30% of the questions refer mm-hmm, back. Exactly. So what if you don't have SOPs? Do you have any idea how many scout councils I have actually visited or uh, been a part of that did not have SOPs for not only their council, but the individual ranges? And uh, sure enough, I had one instructor call me up and he said, hey, look, uh, I went to XYZ range uh, at this particular council and uh, and I asked for the SOPs and they thought I was crazy. Am I crazy? And I said, no, you're not crazy. 
but are you an RSO? He said, yeah, that's how I knew. I wanted to look at the SOP, so I knew what I was doing right and wrong. So, well, have you thought about becoming a CRSO so you could help develop those SOPs? Because the concept there is, is that the council is going to rely on somebody who's knowledgeable, who can set those SOPs up. As a result, very often when I do a CRSO course specifically for scouters, I'll go back and either look at the council or that range or whatever the case might be, their specific SOP, and then find ways and how it's either really good, really bad, or could use some improvement. And nine times out of 10, 50% of them uh, are non-existent and the other 50% need some tweaks. Uh, maybe they have one for the council, but, oh, we've got five ranges. Well, does each range have SOPs? Because they're all a little bit different. Mm-hmm. That becomes a very important element that uh, the scouting and specifically our councils really need. And one thing where people may not realize this, um, individual units are allowed to go along and put on their own shooting um, weekend if they want to. There's one requirement. They have to be approved by the council. And who do you think the council wants to send out in order to inspect those ranges? Chief uh, RSOs. That, <laughs> yeah, because they, they understand SOPs. They understand, you know, uh, backstops, you know, different things like that to make sure that um, the, boys can ha- the boys and girls can have fun and be safe at the same time. You know, those are, the, those are two things that you really scouting uh, emphasizes is you got to be safe while you're having fun and make sure, you know, everybody comes home. There actually is a form. Um, in fact, uh, if you were to look at the shooting sports, uh, websites for either, uh, greater St. Louis area council or Cradle of Liberty council here in Philadelphia, um, and look at all the paperwork that it's part of that you can download off of those websites. There's a particular form that, uh, is used by council and a uh, shooting range, um, that is a liability waiver. And essentially, um, the, People that sign that are the uh, person that actually, or entity that owns the range. And it's a contract saying, yep, we're either going to offer this as a freebie. You can come shoot here for free um, or not. How much is it going to be? It becomes like a contract. So there's an expectation of what that's going to be like shooting at that particular range. You also then have uh, a CRSO who's a part of the council who goes and looks at the actual facility and determines if it's safe. I've actually been to facilities and said, I'm not signing this. Um, here's some things that I think we could do to improve it. And very often the range owner's like, Hey, you know, that's really a good idea. It's not going to cost me hardly anything to do. And it's, it's much safer that way. Um, Mm -hmm. and then lastly, the person to sign it is the, uh, the council scout executive. So at that point, they are acknowledging the fact that there is this agreement between scouting and this entity that owns the range and that it's okay. Um, Several uh, clubs have gone forward with that arrangement. And once you start filling out this paperwork, everybody's very happy to get their names on it because it's very clear in the uh, situation that something is not safe. It's outlined very early, not late. Um, It will prevent uh, incidents. We don't have gun accidents. We have gun incidents. Uh, It prevents those from occurring. And uh, when liability is understood by all sides and everybody agrees, this is how we're going to keep kids safe. Uh, that's a good day in scouting. Most, most definitely. Most definitely. Well, Hey, uh, that's the end of all the updates that have come out so far as of uh, September, 2020. Now to NRA training education, uh, they're doing a good job in getting this information out uh, through email and also through uh, uh, social media. One thing, if you're an NRA instructor and have not been receiving any of these updates, 
go out there to nrainstructors.org and update your email address. Make sure you got all the current, uh, current information because the NRA is not going to come knocking at your door to see if you've received the email. Your email is either right or it's wrong. Um, for also, well, think of, there's another angle on that. Okay. Um, <laughs> NRA membership. So your email address is actually tracked back to your membership account. So uh, case in point, my daughter, uh, she had not changed her email address and she had not been getting the magazine. She'd been signed up for the digital uh, uh, American Rifleman. And she's a life member of the NRA. Um, and she said, how do I change this? And I said, well, let's, let's call membership and we'll get it figured out quick. She's, I mean, 30 seconds later, suddenly she's getting the magazine in print. She's got her, her address and her email updated. Well, it's the same thing for an instructor. If your email has changed or anything else has changed, you have to go and have that changed in your membership account first. And then that information is what's given uh, to ENT. And that's what we end up working with. That's good information to know. Real good information to know out there. So instructors, go out there, update that. Stay in tune with what's going on. Um, read, read the information that's out there because uh, Todd and I went along and gave you an overview, but if you want to read the specifics, you've got to go out there and read the policies and such that are there. Hey, Todd, been asking all my guests this year, um, what kind of books are you reading to further your education as an instructor and such? Well, you know, that, that's a really good question. Um, so I actually am kind of a history buff, and um, I like understanding how certain things got started. Um, from the standpoint of gun designs and things like that. I've actually uh, been following on Netflix. There's a series talking about uh, the history of guns. And, uh, and there's books to that effect as well. Um, but very often, if I'm actually going to read a book, um, I look at alternative history. And very often, I look at the firearms that are used and, uh, and the upsides and the downsides. Uh, one of them is probably the, the most uh, Difficult one to read about is the Chow Chat, if you're familiar with that. It was a French machine gun that when it worked, it worked well. But it was interesting because that particular uh, firearm was made one at a time. They were fitted. Uh, they were not made in mass uh, quantities. So if uh, something broke on one, you could not take a part off of a second one or just a spare part and go fix it. It had to be gunsmithed. Um, and so people actually died on the battlefields because uh, they had one-off guns that uh, needed gunsmithing to be repaired. And so that led to a lot of other very interesting things. Back during the Civil War, likewise, there's a lot of interesting books about uh, how the Union won simply because they had better manufacturing methods for making guns and uh, very fascinating information. Yep, better manufacturing, and they finally and they standardized on a single uh, cartridge size too, versus uh, southern ones that had all different kinds, which meant that you couldn't necessarily borrow the guys next to it as uh, musket rounds and things like that. Yeah, so very, very, very neat. And because uh, put it this way, understanding that kind of history helps in understanding where we are today, and you know, designs of stuff and uh, uh, what what works and what doesn't work. Well, and I do that for a living too, forensically, try to figure out why did this communication system work when it needed to? <laughs> what do we do to fix it? Uh, how come this police officer couldn't talk on his radio when he had to? Uh, why doesn't this train or what, what could cause this train not to work and why did it stop in the middle of the line, right? So uh, try to figure out that sort of stuff with uh, education and training is also interesting. Uh, how could I have taught this class better? 
what are some different training techniques that uh, I might need to hone up on? Those are all mm-hmm. really good things that any instructor should really think about. Well, it helps us improve our classes. You know, if, uh, if, if we can look back and say, I should have done this different, been better prepared or presented differently, or somebody gives us feedback, um, it gives us the opportunity to say, yeah, next time I'm going to try it that way and see if it, see if it makes better sense to the next class I teach. And after a while, we'll uh, be able to hone our skills. And just like we've been saying on this podcast for a long time, you know, what was good last year or 10 years ago, or 20 years ago, is still good, but it may not be the best way of doing things. Well, and what was interesting, I had a training counselor, uh, St. Louis, great guy, good friend. And uh, he asked if he could just sit in on a number of my courses because I was teaching three weekends a month for a long time. My wife was actually very happy when we moved to Philadelphia. Um, <laughs> but uh, every time he'd come to the course, he'd have a different color highlighter. And he would make a note and then make that note in that particular highlighter and then have a key for the color for the session and that he learned something else new. And I learned from that, from the standpoint that you can always learn something new and you should have something to go back and, and find what you did learn and, and how to catalog it. It's kind of cool. Definitely. Well, hey, Todd, where can instructors find more information about you and maybe some of the classes that you're teaching? Well, that's, uh, that's, a, that's a great question. Uh, I do have a website. It's uh, alicertified.com. Um, right now, it just talks a little bit about me uh, following my, uh, uh, my candidacy for the NRA board. Uh, normally that has a lot of information about training in it. And, uh, I can tell you that right now, uh, I'm getting booked up. Uh, my, uh, my wife isn't all that happy about that, especially, uh, through the election season as well. I'm, I'm trying to help some candidates, uh, get elected too. So we've got a lot going on, but, uh, getting booked up very quickly, folks that either want to become instructors in the standard disciplines, but CCW is becoming hotter every day. And there's not that many instructors yet for CCW and a lot of folks that want to do it. But again, getting to that is another issue because of uh, the need for things like holstering clinics. Just because you carry every day doesn't mean that you know how to draw. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that you can do it consistently and that you can do it under stress with a time issue and different kinds of targets and so forth. So um, that's that's really been a, a hard thing for a lot of folks to just pass right out of the barrel. Yeah, two, th- two things that we've been talking about on this uh, podcast and different episodes is A, doing, um, you know, your one-off trainings instead of going and looking for a specific curriculum to offer, offer, you know, holster draw clinics. And also, and the second of all, instead of thinking about training for an entire day, think about maybe a two-hour session. If you can do a two-hour session with five people for 20 bucks. And then you go along and you do another two-hour session with, you know, five more people and five more people. You can make a pretty good, uh, you know, weekend out of it. And it, in a lot of cases, it fits better into people's schedules, not having to, you know, plan out entire, you know, weekend and, or at least an entire day with it. You know, give them specific skills they can work on. They come in, you give them that, and then they go out, they practice it and come back for the next level or, you know, however you want to structure your own classes. And, and there's some unintended uh benefits to that as well. For example, the drawing clinics that I held. Um, what I did not anticipate was the number of people that wanted to see all the different kinds of holsters out there. Uh, because look, all of us that carry, we have a whole drawer full of them, don't we? Yes, uh, we do. <laughs> we, we've, we tried a bunch of them. And I happen to have a particular brand that uh, I'm in favor with at the current time. It's an outside uh, the waistband type and it's made of Kydex. And I tell folks, if you want to take the CCW course, go buy one. Um, and you'll understand why. 
But uh, we get folks to say, well, I, I want to do an appendix carry. That's how I'm going to carry every day. That's how I want to do this course. Great. Can you holster, reholster, holster, reholster with that setup? Because you're going to have to do that for this course. And then I'm like, tell me about that Kydex thing again. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. so it gives them a real chance to try different things. And uh, hey, for 20 bucks, two, three, four hours uh, in a clubhouse with your friends, um, learning something new that is actually beneficial so you don't have to go buy a, a $50 holster every other month until you find one you like. That's good. It's all good. 50, you must be getting a really good bargain on those. Cause I've seen some that are over a hundred bucks. Some of the yeah. nice leather holsters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank goodness for Kydex. Yeah. I know I got one leather holster and that and all the rest are Kydex. <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> well, Todd, we really appreciate you uh, coming on the show. Um, talking to us about the updates. I appreciate the updates that you send me. It seems like uh, every other week and uh, best of luck on the NRA board. Uh, I know that's, uh, that's going to be a uh, good position for you. And there's a lot of uh, good things that can, that I expect to be coming from that. Great. Uh, I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, that's a wrap for this episode. And for our loyal listeners, we have a few requests. Share this episode with your friends on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, to encourage others to listen, subscribe. Remember, If they're not subscribing to this, they probably don't know about all the updates we just talked about. If you have ideas for episodes, questions, or feedback, please email us at ftp at concealedcarry.com. You might be invited to come on the podcast to talk about it. You just never know. Visit our sponsors, especially the Farm Trainers Association at ftaprotect.com and check out their instructor insurance. Being a responsible instructor means having insurance coverage. Remember, use promo code FTP10 for 10% off at checkout. Like and rate our podcast and check out the other concealedcarry.com network podcast also remember we bring you this podcast to support the industry the second amendment and most importantly every farm instructor in america that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable pass word around guys and stay safe out there Concealed Carry Inc. and ConcealedCarry.com strives to share helpful information and education about gun-related topics, training tips, and other things that may potentially have legal implications for its listeners. The information contained in this podcast is intended in good faith, but it is important to understand that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand laws that apply to them. Nothing in this podcast should be misconstrued as legal advice or counsel.